We're so glad you've joined us today. God wants to do so much for you and through you, and we want to hear about it. Please take a moment to share your story with us at pastor at relevant316.com. If you would also like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at relevant316.com. There you can select a giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Again, we thank you and we love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I came here this morning, and I have to be completely honest, I have a confession to make. And to be, to be honest, there's been something that's been going on in my life for a long time. Something that, you know, when I, when I think about how long I've been dealing with this, it's really kind of embarrassing, and God's really placed it on my heart to stand here this morning and just come clean with you. And I never know if it's just kind of this end of the year thing where, where I, I look at the calendar, it's about ready to turn, and I just want to step into the new year with a clean slate or a fresh start. I don't know if it's because it's Christmas and, and I'm overwhelmed by the magnitude of God's gift for me that, that it, the light breaks into my, my hidden places and exposes the things that he's found there. But I, I need to come clean. And to be honest, uh, I've gone through this a thousand times in my head, and it, it was never quite this hard. But here it is. I am a huge nerd. I'm a huge nerd. And I know you're laughing because I've made that confession before. I know you're laughing because you've heard confirmation of that from other people before. But I'm not talking about the kind of nerd that's obvious, like, you know, I, I admit, you can see it, I have this sexy, brainy thing going on. But I, deep down, I am like a revenge of the nerds nerd. Like with the tape glasses and the pocket protector with a cascade of pens popping out. I snort when I laugh. I am a huge nerd, and I realized it a few months ago. I went into the restroom at Albertsons on Troutwine and Van Buren. And... It, as I was finishing up, I was washing my hands, and I noticed that there was a sign on the wall next to the paper towels. And I'm standing there for like three minutes, I'm staring at this sign. And I'm thinking, man, that's a really bad sign. I'm such a nerd, I took a picture of it. If I were to show you my phone, I, I can show you pictures of signs that I've taken all around Riverside, at the ice rink, at Toys R Us on Day Street. And I'm standing there and I'm like, why am I obsessed with this sign? I have problems. I'm such a nerd. And because I'm a nerd, I had to, I had to figure out what is the source of this obsession. So, so I spent a, a, an afternoon reflecting about my childhood and my past. And I realized that this obsession started when I was like seven years old. See, I, I grew up in southern Maine and my family had the cabin at this beautiful lake in the northern part of the state. And so every year our summer vacation was spent at the lake and sitting in the car for eight hours. Maine's a beautiful place, but if you're not on the coast or it's not October, there really isn't much to look at. So, so I, I was sitting in the backseat of the car and my mom would give us these little trinkets and, and toys and baseball cards every hour just to kind of pass the time. And that was always satisfying for about 15 minutes. And then it was right back out the window looking at the trees. But when I was seven or eight, I started to notice that on the side of the turnpike, because for some reason we don't call it a freeway, on the side of the turnpike, there were these little signs on the side of the road. And they were mile marker signs. 
And I started to realize after a few trips that, that I started to realize how many miles we had left to go. These little signs were, were helping me as I navigated the length and duration of our journey. The sign was there to help me along the way. And in addition to the mile marker signs, I noticed that there were big freeway signs that would announce the next few towns that were coming up or the next exit. These little signs that were, that were helping me understand where I was, helping me figure out what was behind me and what was still ahead. And I also found that these signs were a great way to provide an escape for the monotony of the journey. Because I would see these signs and they, they would have place names of places that I had never been to, never seen before. And I would start to think, what is it like to live in this little community out here in the middle of nowhere? The signs became an escape from the monotony of the journey. And as I got older, I started to notice signs in other places. I worked at a restaurant and, and my management team had this very passive way of communicating their intentions to us. They wouldn't come and say, listen, Scott, here's a problem. they just hang signs all over the place. So one day I'm, I'm scooping ice out of the ice bin, and I notice that there's a sign on the front of it. It said, please, when you're done scooping ice, return the scoop to the bin. Because what happens is you can imagine if you leave the ice scoop in the ice, the ice maker's making more ice, it covers the scoop. And then what happens the busboy comes from fresh from cleaning somebody's dirty table and puts his hand down in the ice bin to get the ice scoop. Next time you order a drink, make sure you order it neat. <laughs> That's a little freebie for you. The, it, <laughs> every time I go to the restaurant, I'm like, I'm taking my life into my own hands. I'll have a Coke with extra ice. Please, God, protect me. <laughs> These are the little things you usually don't get in church. You're welcome. But I noticed that signs became little passive ways for people to communicate what they needed from me, their intentions for my life. I started to figure out that, that signs served other purposes as well. Signs protect us. My wife was driving in, in the car a few years ago. And please don't tell Officer Overturf, but she was texting. She's going to kill me when she finds out I just ratted her out. But she was texting. And as she made her way through the intersection, she got T-boned from a, a guy that ran a stop sign. See, signs in our life are there to protect us. I teach my children what signs mean. Because I don't want them to drink from the bottle that has a skull and crossbones on the side of it. Signs are, are for our protection. And you know, there's a, a point in my life where I realized that I was coming to God to ask for a different kind of sign. You know, I was adopted when I was an infant. And I went through this season of my life where I, I was wondering what my biological parents were like. And why they gave me up for adoption. And I was having a conversation with a friend of mine. And just telling him, it would be kind of interesting to meet my biological parents. Well, he told my dad about it. And my dad wasn't really on the same page with me. He was hurt. He was offended. He thought that my curiosity was a, a rejection of his, his presence in my life, the, the fathering that he had given me. And I never intended it to be that. But he exploded. And we were on summer vacation, so we were at the lake, and I, I started walking down the road because I knew that I didn't want to be there. And I was sitting by the side of the lake at the spring, and, and I just cried out to God from the hurt, from the pain that I was experiencing. And I remember saying, God, if you're there, I just need to see a sign from you. 
I just need a sign to remind me that you're in my life, that you're present, that you're here with me. And I was about to give up. And then I heard my mom calling, Scott! Scott! You see, signs serve so many points in our life. They help us navigate the journey. They keep us from harm. And they're a reminder of God's presence and activity in our lives. We see this all through the Bible. There's so many places in the Word of God where where God shows up. Exodus, his children are in bondage in Egypt. He raises up a prophet to go and deliver them. And Moses says, how will they know that I've come from you? And God says, give them this sign. Throw your rod on the ground and it'll become a snake. They're about to cross into, into the promised land. And God gives them signs along the way that he's with them, that he's fighting for them. And so it's not a surprise when when we come to the Gospels and here's Jesus and, and he's coming, he's stepping onto the scene. There's all of this activity. And as Pastor Jonathan pointed out last week, it's a time when, when Israel was pregnant with despair. And so every little indication that God was still present was huge for them. And we come to Matthew 12, and the scribes and the Pharisees show up, and they they run into Jesus, and they said to him, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. We wish to see a sign from you. I think so often we, we hear this from the Pharisees and the scribes, and we're tempted to read it as a bad question or a bad request. And it certainly is that, and Jesus' response to them will, will be a good indication. But there's also a way that we could read this that suggests that, that what they're doing is completely expected. What they're doing is completely expected. See, here's the reality. They're living under Roman occupation. You know, we could go all the way back to the Old Testament. And the temple is destroyed in 586, and the children of Israel are carried out of the land. And God promises that after 70 years, the darkness will give way to light, and you'll be able to return home. Isaiah and the prophets talk about the return in these these really sweeping, epic conversations about what their future will be like. And the reality is that by the time Jesus comes around 500 years later, they're still waiting for the fulfillment, the the grand eschatological day when their darkness will become light forever. Occupier after occupier has has held, held the land in their possession. Israel has never truly been free to this point. And the night seems so dark. There's little glimpses of hope. This month... Jewish friends will celebrate Hanukkah. And Hanukkah came out of this time, about 150 years prior to Jesus, when a group of people decided, we've had enough of this. There were, there were Greeks who ruled the land at that point, and one of them sacrificed a pig on the altar in the Jewish temple. So there was an uprising, the, a messianic hope that, that sort of sparked life anew for the Israelites. And it was all for nothing. So, so their hope has been raised and dashed and hope has risen, risen. Hope has been raised and dashed so many times that when the scribes and Pharisees come to Jesus asking for a sign, it's completely normal that they would come and make this request. 
some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. And Jesus' answer indicates that it's a bad question. Not because they shouldn't be seeking a sign, but he understood the motivation, the intentions that was behind it. And so he says, no sign will be given to you. You're a wicked and adulterous generation. But it's okay to ask for signs. Right before this in Matthew 11, John the Baptist is sitting in jail. And he's contemplating his life and his ministry. And he starts to have these doubts about what is going on in Israel. What is going on in the life of Jesus? He sends his disciples to inquire about the deeds that Jesus was performing. He says, are you the coming one? The Messiah? Or should we look for someone else? If you're faced situations in life and if you're wondering if God cares, if he's still present, it's okay to ask for signs. And the first point this morning is we're, so we're thinking about signs, the, the things that God does in our life, is to pay attention. Pay attention to the signs that God is moving. The signs of God's activity in your life are there to mark your journey. And here comes the scribes and the Pharisees, and they say, Jesus, give us a sign. And I read that and think, have you not been watching what Jesus has been doing for the first 11 chapters of this gospel? He's healed paralytics. He's restored sight to blind people. He calmed a storm with his command. He raised a girl from the dead. And and here you are. You've witnessed all of these things. You've seen all of the times that God is moving. He answers John the Baptist by saying, Listen to what the prophet Isaiah said. "The, The blind shall receive sight. The lame shall walk again. His whole life to chapter 12 has been a proof that this is the Messiah. And here come the scribes and the Pharisees, and they say, give us a sign. Pay attention to the things that God is doing in your life. Because the reality is that all of these little signs, all of these little things are evidence and proof that He is involved, that He cares, that He is walking with you. Pay attention to the signs. I'm going to be completely honest with you. I've been through seasons of my life where, where the night seemed to be dark. That there seemed to be no hope. That there seemed to be just one moment of, of obstacle after the next. It seemed like I was never going to get to a place where, where I could rest in God's blessing. And I started to realize that at every point along the way, there was not one moment that he did not to redeem. There was not one, one obstacle that he did not turn into a blessing. Every step along the way, he took what was broken and he restored it. He picked me back up and set me back on my way. Every moment of hardship, he redeemed, he restored, he renewed. And yet every time I come to the next moment, every time the sun starts to set, every time I try to figure out how am I going to make it through this, I forget about all of these little mile markers that he's, he's put along the freeway of my life. Every time I, I'm filled with fear and anxiety, I forget all of the things that he's done to demonstrate his power in my life, his faithfulness to me. His provision. This morning I want to to invite you to think about your life with God, your journey with God. What are you doing to remember, to pay attention to all of the little signs that He's put in your way? 
You know, we read all of these stories in the Old Testament how God would show up and do something big and we're told that they would build an altar. And the, the purpose of these altars was so that when other generations were walking through these places, they would see the altar and they would remember what God had done in that place. What kind of altars are you building in your life to remind you of all of the places that, that God has brought you through, all of the places that He's shown up, all of the things that He's done in your life? Do you keep a prayer journal? To see that this is the season I was going through and these are the things that I was asking God for. And then on the right side of the page, write how God answered it. It might not always be yes, but you can look back and say, man, if God had really given me what I asked for, my life never would have turned out to be this amazing. What are you doing to remember all of the places that you've been? So that you can look forward to all of the places that you're going to be. Pay attention. The second point this morning is, here's your sign. Now if you're old enough to remember the comedian Bill Engvall, this is not my way of calling you stupid. I just want to be clear about that up front. But here's your sign. We're going to flip back to Matthew 1. Bring it back to Christmas. But in Matthew chapter 1, we read in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce, divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. See, there's something in Joseph's life, in Joseph's life that is bigger than what he's experiencing. It's, it's not just a story of, a, of what appeared to be an unfaithful wife. It's not just a story of a righteous man who's just trying to do the right thing. This is the story of God's kingdom breaking into his experience, to our experience. It's about the kingdom of God coming, the light shining through the darkness. It's about God doing something to redeem his people. And the angel quotes from the prophet Isaiah, Behold, the virgin shall conceive a son. And you shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. And it's interesting to me because when the, the angel quotes this passage, he omits something from the text in Isaiah chapter 7. I'm going to read the text from Isaiah, and I want you to pay attention because the angel leaves something out. And I believe that Matthew picks up on this intentionally. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign from the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. 
And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men, that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. The angel leaves out this part of the quote, and this shall be a sign. And I believe that Matthew picks up on this omission because when we come back around to Matthew 12, the Pharisees come and they ask a foolish question. Jesus, we ask a sign from you. And what Matthew wants you to take from that is that why are you coming to ask Jesus for a sign? He is the sign. Jesus is the sign. All of these moments when you experience life and you don't know if God is present and you don't know where he's at and you feel darkness around you and you feel abandoned by God and you come and ask God for a sign. He looks at you with his loving arms and he says, listen, I've already given you the sign. He was born in a manger 2,000 years ago. We don't need to ask for a God for a sign. He's already given it to us. He's already given it to us. And you know, the thing about life sometimes is that, that I believe that, that so often as Christians, we invest all of our hope in our future. We're, we're investing all of this energy in the day when, when God will come back to earth and he'll call us to heaven and we'll spend our eternities with God. That we forget that he's left us here for a reason. You know, I remember when I was a child and and sitting in the back of the car on these long trips. And what's the question that every child asks in the back seat of the car? Are we, Are we there yet? And I remember asking, and my dad was one of these guys that he would never want to pull off the freeway because we're making good time. I'd be like, what is that? I have to pee. Like, my, my colon and my bladder are, like, engaged in civil war right now, and we don't want to stop because we're making good time? What is that? And, and so I realized that when I have my own kids, I'm going to be such a better dad than he ever was. They're going to be patient. They're going to be well-behaved. They can't even make it out of Corona for a one-hour trip to their grandmother's house in the O.C., there was this one time I almost dropped them off at the train station and said, I'll meet you there. Are we there yet? And, and I believe that so often this becomes the way that we experience our Christianity. We go through all of these things and, and all of these opportunities for God to show up in our circumstances. And all we're concerned about is, are we there yet? Are we there yet? And, and I want you to understand that, that all of the things that we experience in life, they're not just to keep you down. They're not just there to, to be a burden or a drag. They're there because God wants to invade your life and invade your space. All of these moments where you're wondering if God cares about you, when you just fall on your knees and ask for a sign, remember, Jesus is the sign. Jesus is the sign. Our last point this morning is be the message. Be the message. You know, there's a lot of messages that, that our culture is communicating to us. Messages about how, how we can find significance and meaning for our lives. Messages about, about what we're missing and what we're lacking. And I truly believe that God has positioned His church in this culture to be one of those voices. To be a voice that, that runs counter to all of the things that our culture is telling us about who we are, who we should be. God has positioned his church to be one of the voices. 
in our culture. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. We read that now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. I just want to park right there for a second. You know, Pastor Jonathan was going through all of the responses of all of the characters in Luke's gospel. How every one of them, the, the angel would show up, and how every one of them was filled with fear. And you know, it's interesting because here in Matthew, he kind of flips the script. You know, all of these people who are, who are central players in the, the salvation history that God was about to unleash... God shows up in their moments and says, listen, this is how you're going to play a part in the building of my church and the spreading of my kingdom. And every one of them is filled with fear. And here's King Herod on the outside of that redemptive movement. And he essentially has the same response. We're told that he's troubled and all of Jerusalem with you. I just want to remind you before we get into to what it means to be the message of Christmas to remember that, that there's not everybody who's going to hear your proclamation of the gospel and is going to thank you for telling them. There are going to be people who are troubled by the message of hope and the message of life that we proclaim during the season. Not because they see the blessing, but they fear what it means for their own greed and avarice and their own appetites. So just be wary. Magi show up. There's a lot of questions about who these three guys were. I say three because there's three gifts. But truthfully, we don't know how many they were. They show up and and we have all these questions about who they were and, and where they came from and what they did. And I don't want to get into all of that this morning, but, but there's something about what they did and what they said. It's an indication to us of how we're to respond. They said, we came because we saw his star rise. These are people who, who sort of had their finger on the pulse. They, they looked to the stars for signs of the times. And the reality is that, that we live in a world where people are wary of the signs of our times. It seems like every day there's, there's just, we take one more step towards apocalypse, towards Armageddon, towards the end. There's people in our, in our community here in Riverside that are wondering what does it all mean from, from politics and wildfires, earthquakes, wars, all of these things are happening. And, and people are asking what does it all mean? And here come these three, or these wise men. They say, we've come because we saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. See, here's the thing. You and I are invited to call out to those in our community who are withering under the weight of asking, what does it all mean? In a a community, in a time where, where it just seems hopeless, when we're all filled with despair, you and I, are called to cry out the proclamation that God did not forget you. He sent His Son 2,000 years ago. You know, I, I fear that, that so many of us have 
WebMD syndrome. And I don't know if you remember when WebMD became a thing, but I can't even tell you how many sleepless nights because I was convinced that I had some pulmonary disorder or, or that I, something was going on. And I, I would just dig into WebMD. And then I would lay there in bed frightened because I had cancer or because I had a brain tumor. One night I self-diagnosed with a touch of schizophrenia. But don't tell Sven. <laughs> WebMD, man, it was like the craziest thing. I would frighten myself into believing I had all these things, but I never needed a WebMD. I needed a doctor. And you and I, so often, we play doctor to our culture. We just want to sit back and look at all of the symptoms, all of the signs of decay. And we want to point out all of the flaws, all of the things that are wrong in our culture. But God doesn't want that. He wants us to be stars. He wants us to be stars. Check it out. Matthew chapter 2. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star they had seen when it rose before them went until it came to rest over the place where the child was. The star that they had seen when it rose and went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. The star that rose and went before them led them to the house where the child was. See, you and I live in the house where the child is. You and I are called to be stars. We're not called to be prognosticators or culture or quasi-doctors. We're to be stars shining so brightly that people understand that this is the place where the child is. This is the place where you can come and worship. This is the place where where you can come and experience the activity and the saving grace of God. This is the place where the child is. You and I are called to be stars. This morning I want to leave you just with a simple question. Who is it in your life? Who is it in your life that's, that's living a dangerous life? It needs a sign of God's protection. Who is it in your life that's that's wandering aimlessly, lost? Who needs a sign of God's guidance? Who is it in your life who, like John the Baptist, is sitting in a, a prison, maybe of their own making? Somebody who's experiencing bondage, who's trapped that needs a sign that God came to set them free. This morning, as you you think about that question, I just want to leave you with a reminder. You and I are called to be a star. We're called to be the message of Christmas. Pray with me. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Relevant Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Snapchat. 